Hello and welcome to the 32nd episode of Breaching Extinction. This week we are in part two of three of our artist series. Um, this week I chat with Michelle Fleur about her ocean art that she does, her inspiration behind some of her work, and we chat about how she uses art as a tool to connect people to conservation. Hope you guys enjoy it. How are you yeah. doing today? Yeah, well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. I definitely, I appreciate you being open to this. I love your art. I've been like following your account for a while and I love all your animals and all your colors. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. It's always lovely to hear, I have to say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, awesome. So okay. tell us a little bit about your background, your love for cetaceans and how you got into the work you're doing. Okay, great. Um, it's a bit of a long and winding story, but I'll try and keep it brief. Um, so I do have a background in fine arts. I um, went back to uni when I was in my 30s and um, did a, a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Um, I've always been a bit of a nature lover, but I think I kind of lost that um, in my early adulthood. So when I was a kid, I was really into animals, always had animal posters on my wall, Love snow leopards. They were like my thing. <laughs> they were like pictures of snow leopards all over my wall. Um, yeah, but then, you know, as life happens, you kind of grow up and kind of go off on, on different tangents. And so when I was in um, my early 30s, I decided I wanted to go back to uni and do art. And then when I finished my art degree, I was like, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. I kind of realised that um, I didn't fit into the contemporary art world. It wasn't where I wanted to be. So um, I kind of started wandering around aimlessly, thinking of things to do. Um, I did portrait photography for a little while, um, which I really enjoyed for the time that I did it. Um, but then I realised that, you know... <laughs> One of the only ways to make money was to do weddings and um, my heart wasn't in it. So um, anything. Anyway, um, then one of those life things happened. My partner um, got an offer to move to the west coast of Australia for work mm -hmm. for a couple of years. Um, we live on the east coast now and that's where we lived before. And um, I'd never been to the west coast of Australia before. It's a long way away. Australia is a really big country and the west coast is... Um, the most unpopulated part of Australia. In fact, Perth is um, one of the most isolated cities in the world. So it's um, it's a pretty pretty full on place. Um, but we we moved there, and um, Perth is by the sea. It's beautiful um, ocean. It's crystal clear. You know that quintessential picture of the ocean. Mm -hmm. You know, aqua water and white sandy beaches it's beautiful and um I'd never really lived next to the sea before anyway I was still in that mode of trying to think of what I wanted to do with my life you know mm -hmm. I'm kind of in my late 30s now <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, it took me a while and um so I just decided while we were there I would just start to do things that I really love to do and one of them was to paint with watercolors and to draw and for want of anything better to, to draw, I just started drawing the wildlife and the fauna and uh, flora um, of Western Australia because it's actually quite beautiful. They've got amazing wildflowers there. And um, then I um, 
we lived in a place called Cottesloe, which is right on the beach. And from our balcony, we could see the whales going past um, on their migration. And um, I was sitting there and I was like, what's that thing out in the water? And um, lo and behold, it was a whale. And um, I thought, oh, I'm going to paint a whale. So I just Googled pictures of whales and, uh, you know, humpbacks came up. And then I started reading the story of humpback whales in Australia. And it was absolutely tragic so um these whales were nearly hunted to extinction it was terrible there was only 200 um, whales left on the east coast of australia in i think 1962 wow that that was it 200 yeah Mm. and it was pretty much the same on the west coast of australia as well they were just um decimated um, and in 1963, I think it was the International Whaling Commission said enough's enough. We're going to ban the hunting of humpback whales in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. So from that point on, I think it was 1963, don't quote me on that, but it's the early 60s. Um, from that ban, the population has grown on the East Coast alone to more than 25,000. Amazing. On the West Coast, even more than that. Yeah. So that's in, what, a 50-ish years yeah Um, holy cow i I know isn't that an amazing story it's like one of those positive conservation stories and all we had to do was stop hunting them it was that simple you know you know it's Um, crazy these these man-made problems we've got man-made solutions but that gives me hopes for our southern resident you know yeah yeah, I mean, I guess there, there have been other species where they've probably done the same thing and it hasn't worked out quite so successfully. But um, the humpbacks is definitely, hey, kitty, stop that. <laughs> um, definitely a really positive um, conservation story. So I was really inspired by that. And um, I was also struck by what 200 humpback whales would look like. So I decided to embark on this project called the 200 Whales Project where I would paint 200 whales to see what that actually looks like. And it doesn't look like a lot. (laughs) Um, And that's how, you know, I I did that over the course of a year. And then it just became more and more fascinated by different cetaceans. I I started painting other kinds of whales, whales that I'd never heard of, cetaceans I'd never heard of. I didn't know they existed. I didn't even know a narwhal was a real animal. I thought it was like a mythical animal. Yeah, this is a 30-something-year-old woman who didn't know that a novel was a real animal. I mean... You're not the first person to tell me that. So it's not just you. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. That's hilarious. Um, Yeah. So how do you use your artistic skills and passions to connect people with these creatures that you've developed a a passion for? Well, um... I mean, social media plays a huge part part of it. I think, you know, art is all about connection and it's a vehicle for communication. And um, during the course of painting those whales, um, I was surprised by people's um, reactions to them and, and how people wanted to talk about them and how they kind of ignite in people this sense of... Um, what would you say, mystery and almost a childlike fascination. Um, So I think whales really lend themselves to um, opening up channels of communication with people, um, especially creatively. I discovered that there's so many people in the world who love painting and drawing whales and cetaceans and um you know I really realized through that project that whales could be a good 
way for people to access, um, you know, uh, ideas around conservation and, and information about conservation and not just in in to do with cetaceans but mm-hmm. with all kinds of animals. Like at the moment I'm really interested in, in Australian animals as well as whales, Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious. Did the did the bushfires kind of affect your you wanting to do more Australian animals? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's really insightful. Um, when that happened, well, um, obviously everyone around the world probably saw those videos of the koalas and the echidnas and the wombats kind of became these superhero creatures, mm-hmm. and they and they're pretty amazing. But I realised too that there were so many Australian animals that people had never heard of that kind of get pushed to the wayside lots of little marsupials animals that aren't that cuddly um you know weird river fish that you know people just don't see and don't know about that are on the brink of extinction i think australia has the highest extinction rate of animals anywhere in the world it's pretty appalling don't i'm pretty sure wow. i'm pretty sure it's it's bad um we we have a bit pretty bad track record in terms of environmentalism also, we're, we're one of the biggest um, polluters in the world, but per capita. Yeah. Wow. A lot of Australians don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know so, that either. Um, no, everyone thinks we're all outdoorsy and yeah, they love, love nature, and we do. I mean, that's a strong part of our identity. But, um, yeah, we're pretty bad at looking after it, it seems. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I've... Um... Joe Gatos, who's like from Doc, which is up on Orcas Island in Washington, he was saying, you know, our planet takes care of us, so we owe it to our planet to to give back to it. And it sounds like so many people in Australia, if that's such a strong part of their identity, they should want to protect it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, of course we should. Um, You know, yeah, it is a strong part of our identity. You know, you think of surfers and the outback and... um, yeah, that we don't look after it very well. And a big part of that is um, we should be talking to our Indigenous people who have looked after this country for over 60,000 years So, and, and they know how to look after it. And I think the fires really woke us up to that as well, that we need to learn better fire management, and they did it for a long time, so let's listen to the people who know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very important for sure. Um so kind of going back to some of the questions that I had here. So why is it, why do you feel that it's important to use art as a platform to connect people to wildlife? Um, just because a lot of people uh, love art. There's something, I think people see art as almost magical. There's something about it that... Um, Every artist is different. Every artist represents the issue or the story differently with their own little kind of magic. Um, and people seem really fascinated by it. So it's a way to draw people in and, um, you know, be able to present bigger issues. Um, I think, too, art is art can be quite hopeful it can um it can sort of give a sense of optimism which is what which is what i try to do through my work um is try to try to give some optimistic hope through it um and i'm very honest sometimes in my posts i'll talk about how i mean we all must feel it at this time anyone who's interested in conservation and and the the planet um you know this sense of deep 
despair at what's going on. There are just so many issues. It's all so huge. And I guess art can just be a little way to kind of crystallise the issues in a little little hopeful nugget of joy where we can, you know, I don't know, celebrate the mystery and, um, I don't know, just try and be better. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's inexplicable. Art is just one of those things. It's like religion or music or, yeah. It's just intrinsic yeah. to people, absolutely. And I, I think kind of... The fascination with whales is a little bit intrinsic too, even with non-animal people. Absolutely. Yeah, people really love that. I love, you know, that you kind of called it a nugget of joy. That's a really cute way to put it. Um, but it is, it is hopeful, and I think you're right. There, there is a lot of despair, but there's a lot of magic as well. And I think through your art, you've kind of been able to share some of that magic and the brightness because of like you use really bright, beautiful colors. Um, and like, you know, while there's a lot of darkness, it is important to call on that light because that is what gives us hope. If we think that, you know, things are not going to get solved or if we're not willing to look at, at the light that's on the other side, I don't think we'll get anything done. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You need to have hope. Otherwise, it just, you know, you become stagnant. You just give in. You're like, you know, why should I bother? I'll just go and buy all that plastic rap shit at the supermarket or whatever, you know? It's, it's, um, I mean, and I, I have to be honest, I do that sometimes. I'm just, I'll just be like, what does it matter? Everything's going to crap anyway. No one cares. And it's easy to fall into that pit of despair. But, um, I, we owe it to the planet that looks after us, I think, to, like you said before, mm-hmm. to look after it. It's, um, we do, we owe it. We owe it to this planet. Yeah, absolutely. So you did touch on your 200 whales project. I also saw on your website that you had whales for a wild world. What can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I started that after the 200 whales project, probably six months to a year after that. And uh, you might have seen that it hasn't gone very far. (laughs) Um, I I started it and I think I got to 20 or... um, I'm not sure how many there are, but the whole point of that was to paint the whale, I'd sell the whale, and then I give um, half the money, or I can't remember if it was half or the full amount, to mm-hmm. a different conservation group. And um, I made quite a, you know, I sold most of those whales and it went to the Jane Goodall Foundation in Australia. That project I've been meaning to pick up again and again and again over the last few years, uh, not few years, maybe two years, mm-hmm. but it got uh, kind of stuck because we moved back to the east coast so Mm -hmm. um and then other things came up little work things came up commissions came up but uh yeah now seems a good time to get back into it with what's going on now so it's been a bit you know everything's been a bit slower so yeah it's still there on my website because I keep meaning to get back into it but yeah I mean basically um, what I realised through doing different things for different conservation groups was that what most of them need, what I can give them personally is money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I can make money, they always need money. They always need more resources. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll do little projects every now and then where I'll sell something and give half the profits to a conservation group or something. So that's how that started. It was kind of like a continuation of the 200 Wales project. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really important. And you're totally right. Those a lot of environmental projects are, are completely underfunded. I've, I'm guessing that's an issue in Australia then too, because that's a huge issue over here. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Rosemary Kennelly, who was the interview before you, she um, she kind of does the same thing, except for she'll, like, do logos for conservation groups and things like that. Yeah. And all of that stuff yeah. truly is so impactful and it's so important. And that's, like, a benefit of art that I feel like we haven't really talked about yet is, like, you know, not only are you raising that awareness, but you're able to provide resources so that people can continue to do science or conservation or whatever their project is. So that's that's really awesome. Yeah. Um, so what role do you think that art plays in science? Why is it important that we pair the two? I mean, you just talked about you're able to to provide resources. But other than that, like, why is it important that we combine these these two fields? Well, I guess. Like anything, life is very complicated. There are all, all, all kinds of people. Um, some people will connect through science. Some people will connect through art. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I totally think they can work hand in hand. You see that through, I guess, a botanical illustration or, um, you know, scientific illustration is just like a, you know, standard example. Um, and because we're visual people too, um, we have eyes, we see the world. Um, it's Art can be a way to communicate science to people who don't have scientific knowledge, and I'm one of those people. <laughs> science to me is more mysterious than art. Like, uh, I have uh, my partner is an engineer and I just cannot access his, you know, that part of my brain. It just doesn't work like that. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's all about communication. And so you know, they work together. Yeah. 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 I totally agree with you. I think, and that's kind of been a theme throughout this podcast is we need to, if we want to save the animals, we have to come together and call on everybody's gifts and use everybody's resources to reach people, to reach everybody. Cause if we just go one way, we only reach one type of person and that's, that's not going to work at the end of the day, you know? So that's crucial. Yes. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's so true. And I think, um, you know, when I when I came into this world of cetaceans and um, ocean love, marine life, um, you know, I thought I had to be like a, a scuba diving, um, really fit, beautiful on the beach kind of, you know, person. And uh, yeah, I kind of felt outside of it for a little while because, you know, if you go on Instagram, there's a lot of really wonderful advocates um, who probably didn't have a life like mine. You know, I'm an urban dweller. Um, I don't live by the sea at the moment. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not vegan. Um, <laughs> I'm probably not the best example of, of you know, of, of what I preach. But there's so many people like that and we, we want to do our best and, um, yeah, I, I don't want to be preaching to the converted. I want to be I want to be communicating with people like me who want to do better. Do you Absolutely. know what I mean? Yeah, like we don't need another echo chamber. But, I mean, you're totally right, and that's something I thought too when I was getting into this field. I was like, well, I have to be super brainy, and I have to be fit, and I have yeah. to do all these things. And, like, yeah. you know, those are elements to it, but it's not required, and there's so many different ways to get in the field. But right. also, like having this conversation, there's so many people that have those same thoughts, but they don't say it out loud. So now they know, hey, other people feel that way yeah. too. <laughs> and you're totally a part of the conversation and like totally a relevant picture of this bigger puzzle. You know, you don't have to be super Yeah, tight. I like how you put it. Thank you. Yeah, being part of the conversation. 
that's a good way to put it. Yeah, because here's the thing is, you know, when you draw 200 whales or something like that, like, you know, a scientist could see your art and, and that could evoke some sort of question or it could evoke an emotion or an action in another person that's not a scientist. Like, you never know what the result is. Humans are incredible in the way that they can be inspired in so many different ways. And so if we all just work together and we work to inspire each other as opposed to kind of putting these these boxes or these standards of this is what this is supposed to be or that's what that's supposed to be, you know, we we break down those boundaries and those limitations that we don't need and can create something so much more beautiful, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love that. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I feel. And we've got to be inclusive. We've got to include everyone. Absolutely. Um, because if, if things won't change, if we don't, we need to. I think now's the time where we need to be really tolerant and uh, non-judgmental and understanding that people come from a lot of different walks of life. Even culturally, people have, have differences that um, we need to be sensitive to, but um, we all need to change together. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's- Absolutely so mindful like it's so good to be mindful of all those things you know um so speaking of inclusivity you know you include a lot of different kinds of animals in your work you're not just cetaceans you do a lot of things so how like what connects you to these creatures and obviously you use art to kind of convey this connection what draws you to certain animals uh yeah that's a good question um sometimes i think it's just a a random thing i'll just see something online or on tv and i'll Mm -hmm. i'll want to know more about this creature but i think it actually goes back probably to my childhood i lived a lot of my childhood in rural queensland so Mm -hmm. um in the bush uh in small towns my dad was a school principal so we moved a lot um and my my kind of base um was my grandparents house and they owned a small farm and my grandfather was a very outdoorsy person and he was really interested in trees and nature and wildlife and he was always telling stories and we used to watch grizzly adams on tv and Mm -hmm. you know those old disney movies where they'd be in alaska and and that kind of thing Yeah. yeah so um and i I I think those formative years really stick with you. And um, I think they kind of, you know, when I was going through that time of uncertainty about what I wanted to do with my life and I was like, just do what you want, that kind of came up again. All those stories that I heard as a child, all that magic and that wonder, and that's what I wanted to get back to. So these animals, I don't know, um, they just just kind of appear. (laughs) They just appear, yes. Yeah, Uh, but... yeah, they just appear in my life. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, they come at the right time. I feel like that's kind of how the universe works a little bit, when you're supposed to find something you do, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm very, very influenced by my surroundings. Mm-hmm. So when I was living on the West Coast near the sea, all I wanted to do was marine life. That's that's all I wanted to paint. Um, but being back here... I'm kind of on the urban fringes near the bush, kind of near the rainforest as well. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different kind of animals and wildlife around here. So, you know, um, that obviously influences me a lot at the moment as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, So I'm curious, you did touch on like, you know, being inclusive and being mindful of other cultures. Obviously, I'm an American from the United States. 
Um, and we have certain cultural views on art. How is art viewed and valued in Australia? Uh, oh, this is a minefield. <laughs> it's very hard. Well, you know that we're going through the pandemic at the moment. Like, how could you not know? Right. Um, and the arts has really, really suffered here. Um, yeah, very, very badly. It hasn't probably received the funding that other areas have. Um, so I don't know that it's valued all that much. I think people love it, but I think we value so much within our society economically. It's got to have like a financial benefit to it. And the arts do, though. That's the thing. The arts do. I think it's just the perception that, that they don't. Um, you know, art is obviously in terms of Indigenous Australia, it's a huge, huge part of um, uh, the um, Aboriginal culture right. of Australia. So, um, and, you know, if you come here as a tourist, you'll see a lot of dot paintings and things. It's a lot broader than that, but um, that's that's obviously a big part of our um, our heritage. And, um, you know, we have some amazing Australian artists. Um, people would know them. I don't know. I think the art's kind of undervalued really everywhere. <laughs> um yeah. But, yeah, people love it. I just yeah, when it comes to that financial attachment thing, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, like I always had kind of an artistic inclination as a kid too and culturally I was just taught like, oh, we're yeah. not going to take that path because we're going to be a starving artist, you know, but when we yeah. look at it like the places that are successful, like even if they are monetarily based or based on selling something, it's because of like patterns on shirts or because of like their pretty advertising or other things so it's like you know art does yeah. speak to people but I think it totally is a myth that like there's no financial benefit but I think so many people just yeah. because that it's not a clear-cut like buy sell thing all the time they don't see that but unfortunately yeah there is a much higher value put on um things that have economic benefit as opposed to things that are kind of good for your soul like the environment yeah. and art and <laughs> spirituality yes. and it's like we I think through this pandemic hopefully people are starting to realize that again because without your job what do you have you know yeah absolutely I've seen that too I'm a, a king gardener and in the gardening community as well so many people are reconnecting with the the you know the little bit of land outside their homes and 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 starting to garden and I, I think that's been undervalued as well we've just been going to the supermarkets and consuming things and now we're like oh uh, this our food might be threatened let's try and plant some seeds I mean yeah it is it's it's interesting what we value as a culture and and you know it, it, I'm hopeful that that this event in global history really might shift our values back to what's really important what you said like what feeds our souls yeah. Absolutely, because that's what we need. And I, you know, I've done a lot of like scientific reading, but also, you know, the social aspect of humans is really important because how do we communicate to everybody? And the idea of like wellness mm -hmm. and what people need comes up. And it's like you need a job where you're doing meaningful work, you need like a support system and like spirituality, oh. an outlet for creativity. Some people say they're not creative, everyone's creative. Some people yeah. just repress yeah. that, you know? Um, so yeah. yeah, I'm hopeful that out of this, people are able to kind of reevaluate and assess like what's really important at the end of the day, because 
you know, so you lived and, and you worked and you worked really hard and had titles and money and then you die, like, and then you're on your deathbed for what, you know? It, will it be worth yeah. it? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the eternal, you know, one of those big questions, isn't it? It's, um, and that's why in a lot of my work, I, I tie these ideas, you know, with like, you know, ideas of cosmos and, and where we sit and what it all means. And it's not just about conservation. It's about the big picture. Like what kind of world do we want? We're creating it right now, all of us together. We have the power to change things. You know, yeah, individually and collectively, like we can change things in our own life. I know I'm not one of those people who goes, if you want this, you can get it. I think that there are things that impact people's lives. But together we can make this world, you know, just a much better place. We have everything we need to be able to do that. And that's what's so frustrating, I think, is that we have everything we need to be able to do it. We don't have to give up a lot. It's, it's not a lot. Yeah, we might... You know, to live in a kind of world which um, is sustainable, in which we all have access to the things we need, we, some of us, including myself, might have to learn to share more of what we have, which can be a scary thought when we've been taught since day one culturally that we consume, consume, consume. Um, but I think that's something that we're going to have to learn. It's almost like we have to grow up as a, as, as a, you know, as a world. We have to mature. We have to share. We have to do what we tell our kids to do, you know. That's funny. Yeah. yeah, I remember, like, reading a sign somewhere in a school or something like that, and it said everything that you need to learn in life you learn in kindergarten, and it was like, share your, yeah. you know, share your things, you know, don't be mean, etc. And, like, that's totally true, and, like, we definitely need to get back to it and, like, you're right, we're, we're taught to constantly be consuming, but like it's, you know, it's interesting too because I've been fortunate enough to travel to a variety of countries and I found that some of those countries that don't have the economic um, kind of affluence that the U.S. does, they live with less, but they're in smaller communities and like they're happier. Like they feel, they're more fulfilled, yeah. I think, based on just my personal observations. So I think we oh, need no, to get I back to that. absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, like the society that we live in with all of the material wealth, it's overrated. Like there's the, yeah. having a nice car doesn't bring me any more happiness than just a normal car. Like, honestly. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, we got to get back to it. I like I like your way of thinking for sure. Um, so yeah. <laughs> as far as like being in this field, obviously, you said you kind of figured out what you wanted to do later on in life, which I think that's really important that you shared because. I think so many of us feel pressured to figure it out, like, right away, like, right when you turn 18, at least in the U.S., you know. Um, and so that's, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm glad that you shared that. But what kind of, what challenges have you faced, like, on your journey? And also, what are some of the most, like, rewarding parts of it? Well, the constant challenge is uh, making money, which I don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, very little money. Um, I'm fortunate to have a partner that um, is supportive of me doing what I love so um, so that's the biggest challenge um, otherwise I you know I can't say that there is that much else that <laughs> I find challenging occasionally I'll have blocks you know the dreaded artist block or something um, 
but yeah, no, I, I I love it. I love what I do. So so in that respect, it's um it's quite easy for me. I've learnt that I can't do everything I want to do, and I can't do it all quickly so I've had to chill and calm down and just um, get into a flow and take my time and say if you don't do a hundred things this year it's okay you maybe just do five really well Mm -hmm. um, because I have that kind of urge to always want to be doing more 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 Mm -hmm. Um, but otherwise I really enjoy it I think the challenge now is um, in terms of linking my art with conservation I found it, it, it online especially I found it a bit easier a couple of years ago um I guess the challenge is constantly remaining fresh and um, being able to communicate with people with the constant changes that are happening with technology as well. Mm -hmm. Like Instagram's become a lot more difficult to use. Facebook I recently just let go because I didn't find I was communicating with anyone on it anymore. Yeah. Um, Yeah, like, you know, the kids now are using TikTok. I just, I don't want to go there. <laughs> so I'm wondering, like, if I'm going to be able to kind of sustain this over the next few years, how I will change the way I create art and communicate my message. I mean, ultimately, one day I'd love to do a book. So that would be, like, my long-term 10-year plan, you know, 10-year goal. I'm very new to it, so I realise I have to grow as an illustrator and um, I've got a lot to learn. But um, that would be my long-term goal. That's amazing. Yeah, I kind of rambled then. <laughs> no, that's awesome. What was the second part of the question? Um, okay, I was just, good. yeah, what was the most, like, what's the most rewarding part of your work? Oh, I just, I just love the connections with people. I mean, I actually find Instagram a really positive place to, um make connections, to communicate with people, all kinds of people too, Um, you know, young people to elderly people, semi-messages and they're really lovely and, you know, they might want to know more about something and, um, yeah, I just find it a really good platform for people that are open. I think I've only received one negative, like, wasn't even abusive thing in the whole time I've been on there, so... That's pretty, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's excellent. Yeah, I'm glad that you've you found it to be a positive place. I've definitely, I found Instagram to be a tool also. That's how I found you. Um, that's how we communicated. Um, but yeah, it's, I have like mixed feelings about social media because like, you know, from a lot of the things that I've read, like from, you know, books with psychology, it's like kind of a fake connection. But I think if you use it in the right way and you use it as a tool, like you say, it can be very helpful and very beneficial. But that's important that, you know, you've seen it like that you have that positive impact because, you know, we don't we don't have time necessarily for unnecessary negativity. You know, if you've got a constructive comment to make or, or something like that, like I think you should make it, but that's, you know, that's really important. Plus you're just like, you're making art. You're not doing anything necessarily controversial. So I'm glad that no one's like just being rude for no reason. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, um, you know, I've been through that whole social media starting up, phase you know from Mm -hmm. when Facebook started I've made all the mistakes anyone can make you know I needed to everyone to know exactly what I thought and um, I was very opinionated at one stage and I'd have like um, regret 
for, <laughs> for like, you know, voicing my opinion too loudly. I've, you know, tried all the marketing things that you can possibly try through my old photography business, even when I was starting doing this. Um, I've tried it all and I've just gone back to keeping my message pretty simple, doing what I love, presenting what I love, what I really, really love because I want that message to come through pretty clearly. And, um, you know, I've taken the business side off my Instagram, it's just a normal Instagram page now. I'm not trying to push a product. I really just want people to engage with the mystery and the beauty and the wonder of the world around them that's that's all my message is because I mean I think that's all that there really is to life I mean it's all right there right in front of us and I think that's what's going to make us change if we can see it we just have to see it it's so funny that it's right there but even you know I always lose sight of it but it's just right there in front of us yeah yeah no, it's funny. It's it's hard to stay grounded and it's it's funny that you say that too. It's like it's right there. It's right in front of you and we like we get stuck l- looking at the future or looking at the past or getting caught up in something yeah. that's not that doesn't matter at the end of the day. And like you know, as long as as you find your way back to what's right in front of you, then that's really all that matters, you know? Um but that's I think that that's really important that you're able to kind of show people what's right in front of them and like I think the way that you illustrate, like, with all the colors and just, like, the style that you do, too, like, uh, like I see your stuff and I'm like, like, you know, you're talking about these little Australian animals that no one knows about. And I'm like, what is this? I've never heard of this. Like, and then you want to look it up and you're like, what's going on here? Like, and there's so much we can learn from every creature. Like, they all live so differently, you know? Um, a question that we always ask here is like, what can we learn from the Southern residents? But I'm gonna go ahead and guess that you have not seen the Southern residents. So what can we learn from the whales that you've encountered? Oh, wow, a lot. Um, I'll talk about humpbacks specifically. Mm -hmm. The thing I love about humpbacks is they, you know, there have been these sightings where people have seen them being altruistic, where they've seen them helping other species, you know, from orcas sometimes, trying to save other other creatures from orca, orca attacks or shark attacks or whatever. Um, they're just, they live in this world and they don't need anything but themselves, you mm-hmm. know. They just, they just exist in the world and do their thing. They're curious. They're curious about us and we're curious about them and there's... Well, I think it is, and I was going to say there's almost this sense that they're communicating with us, but I think they are. You know, when you look a whale in the eye, it's communicating with you. Um, they're just, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I could gush about them for ages. I just think they're the most magnificent, beautiful, gentle, um, wonderful creatures. And, and I, you know, I often call them my oh you're cutting out again hold on let's see oops i lost you oh i got you (laughs) okay you said you often call them and then it cut out oh i often call them my gurus oh cool why is that yeah (laughs) because i just think they're the perfect example of how do we exist in the world i just think they exist their existence is so beautiful the way they treat each other the way um you know, the way they live, they just do their thing. Um, yeah, I just I just think they're just beautiful creatures. 
Yeah, they absolutely are. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up, that idea of, of them being like solo and curious and altruistic. And, you know, one of the things that, that when I ask people what we can learn from the orcas, almost every time what people say is like they live cooperatively, like they can work in groups. And that is really important. Yeah. But I think there's a balance, too. And like the humpbacks can be here to show us, oh, like, here's how you live independently because there's so much to be said for being able to function on your own so we got to call on all these wonderful traits that these animals have and and you know emulate that in our own lives yeah yeah i mean yeah i think yeah you have to be important not to romanticize it yeah (laughs) i'm sure uh yeah we all we all have our uh, we call it dark side i mean that's what that's what people do we kind of make up these myths and these stories um but yeah, we have to appeal to that part of ourselves um, that allows us all to exist, um, you know, with everything we need on this planet together. So yeah, it is about working collaboratively and collectively and as a community and um, yeah, getting away from that sense of individuality and self-entitlement and seeing the bigger picture of how we all we all exist together and we all need each other too. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I don't have any other questions, but is there anything else that you would like to add or that you feel like people should know? Uh, no, I think I've said a lot. <laughs> yeah, you did awesome. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my first podcast. So um, nice. Yeah, it's exciting. thank you very much for having me yeah Yeah. i really appreciate it of course thanks for joining us on this week's episode be sure to check back in next week for the third and final part of this series Um, if you're curious to find out more about michelle's work you can find her on instagram at michelle fleur um i'll put the spelling and everything in the caption below um and we'll also make sure to tag her in all of our social media posts um but yeah find us on facebook instagram twitter um, also, if you guys want to contribute to helping us grow, you can contribute to our Patreon. Um, but yeah, hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next Friday.